All right, good morning. So glad to see everybody here. Again, welcome uh, to New Life Church this morning. Uh, just to give you a, a quick uh, recap, uh, last weekend was Easter weekend, and I just wanted to celebrate you uh, with you really quick. We had just under 1,800 people here last weekend, and so, uh, yeah, put your hands together for that. Thank the Lord. Amen. And uh, that's just a testimony to you guys, so thank you so much for just inviting your friends, your family members, getting them here. Uh, that's a very big deal um, to just get people here over uh Two, two days and four services, and uh, so just thank you so much. We're going to baptize some folks here uh, this morning right after this service, and so uh, we just had a, a lot of people respond uh, last weekend just saying, I want to rededicate my life or I want to be baptized, and so um, we're just thankful for that. I also want us to take just a second and put our hands together for every volunteer that served last weekend. Can we do that? So yeah, want to honor those guys really well. It takes a whole lot to make a, a service happen. Um, last time we kind of put the numbers together, it takes about 60 people to make a service happen, whether we're serving kids or parking cars or fixing coffee or, uh, you know, filling up a baptism, whatever it is, it takes about 60 folks per service. And so thankful for every single one of those people. We're a serving church. And so if you're not serving in some place, let me just do a quick plug. Uh, pray about it. Find a place. Uh, we believe that everybody has a 10 at something. And so just find a place to serve your church and um, God will re reward you for that and we'll certainly appreciate it. Um, we're going to start a new series uh, this month that will finish us out for April and um, hopefully it will transition to more of a warmer April than what, we, what we've had. Um, but we're going to do a series on the family and so as we look into that, I just want to uh, highlight a couple of ministries really quick. We have an incredible ministry here called Reengage, and Charles and Anita Davis are leading that. And so um, we're just so thankful for them and what they're doing and the team that they've built. And so if you want to work on your marriage in any way, you could have an ideal marriage. You could have a marriage that's very broken. Um, no matter wh where you are in, in the scale there, um, Re-engage is a great thing. It's a healthy thing, and um, we haven't had a single couple come out of that and say, you know, it didn't help us in some way. And so, you should pray about that and, and consider it. It's it's a commitment. And so, if you um, again are interested in that, you can see Charles and Anita Davis, or ask us anything, any leader here about it, and we can aim you in the right direction. We've also got a new branch off of that called Merge, and Merge is for those of you who are are considering marriage, you are in a serious relationship, you're engaged, what and what whatnot. And what Merge does, it gives us an opportunity to talk you out of getting married. Okay, and so um, you. Get it's an, it's an eight-week course, and so um, as a matter of fact, um, now we're doing this, and this is going to sound crass, but we love you enough to say this. If you're here and you want one of us to marry you, you have to go through that, okay? And so uh, just consider it, pray about it. And uh, we just we just want to do our best to serve you well. And Zach and Cass Hall are leading that. You can't find two better leaders um, for that. And so again, just just pray about it. Um, before we get started talking about marriage, I just want to take a minute and just just pray over us, pray over the series and every family that that's here and every family that calls New Life Church home, and um, that God would just minister to us over these next couple of weeks as we talk about the home. So let's do that. Father, we love you today. Thank you so much for just bringing 
bringing us back after a great Easter weekend. We love you. We celebrate you. We thank you for every soul that came in this building last weekend and for those who are going to be baptized in just a moment. We just thank you for that. And Lord, as we talk about the home, we pray that we see a great reflection of you. The love of the Father aimed at us and how we're supposed to love our spouse with that same type of love. And so, Father, today I just pray over every home, over every child, every aspect of, of our lives as it relates to our home. So challenge us, change us, stir our hearts this month, and we give you all the thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to begin today by just uh, giving us a good quote. Um, Ruth Graham made this statement. I thought it was really solid. I just liked it. She says this, a happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. A happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers, meaning that if we're going to have a good marriage, we're going to have to get really good at forgiving each other. And so when we look at, at forgiveness, we have to look at it through the lens that Christ is the ultimate model of this. He's showing us the way I love you is the way I want you to love each other. And so we have this, this perpetual, aggressive, repetitious, unconditional pattern of love and forgiveness from the Father, and that becomes our goal for home, that we get good at telling other people, it's okay, let's forgive each other, let's move forward, let's look at, at what life can be with us letting this go, let's grow from it, let's know more about ourselves and more about God, and let's get healthy over whatever this was that we needed forgiveness over, and let's go on. Okay, because that's, that's how the Father treats us. And so he loves us to the point of saying, listen, grow from it. I love you. I forgive you. Let's move on. All right? He doesn't harbor those things against us. He's not keeping a list. And so real love, when, when we think of, of love in its purest and finest form, we have to know that love desires permanence. It wants to stick around. It wants to have a place. It wants to settle in. It wants to sink its teeth in. It wants to have a place of permanence. And again, this is the way the Father loves us. I love you. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you can say. There's no experience that you could have that would be so dark and dank that I would not come after you because I love you. And so it's permanent. We're never going to be able to, to run off the love of God for us. And so love desires permanence, and permanence requires forgiveness of us. And so we are only going to be able, okay, because we know ourselves, we know we can't do this on our own strength. And so when we look at this, we can only get long-term repetitious forgiveness by having the Spirit of Christ in our homes. That's it. You and I are never going to be good enough or strong enough or smart enough or be strong-willed enough to say, I'm going to be a place where love can dwell and be permanent and repetitious that only comes from having the Spirit of God at the core of our own. 
So I want to start today with Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read this very short parable that Jesus is giving. And we've all heard this, but I'm just going to use it as kind of a foundation. This message today is certainly a foundational message for where we're going to head in the next couple of weeks. So let's keep that in mind as well. Matthew 7, 24, this is what he says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice... It's like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Do you guys remember singing this song in children's church and growing up? Sure. And so verse 27, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And so what Christ is trying to teach us right off using this metaphor of building is that the foundation is extremely important. That what we're building our homes on, what we're building our relationships on, greatly affect its long-term outcome. It affects how, how long-standing anything can be based upon what it is built on. Now, there are several things that I feel like I can do personally. I look around at, at various things and I say, I think I can do that and I can do that and I can do that. However, there is one thing that I should never do and that is build a house, okay, ever. Um, it, at least not one that you would want to live in or even spend the night in. I, don't, I shouldn't be building shelter for anybody because it's just not my skill set. And to build a home correctly, it takes a lot of, of, of traits. It takes hard work. It takes knowledge. It takes resources. And it takes the proper tools. And so when we look at that and we lay that over the grid of our homes, it, they're parallel to each other. It's the same thing. For us to build a great marriage, to have a great home, to have a healthy culture, it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of knowledge. We've got to be learning about marriage. We've got to be self-taught. We've got to be reading the Word. We've got to be reading books. We've got to be hearing from wise counsel. We need to be looking at model couples who have, who have gone before us, who are in the season ahead of us, and ask them, how are you doing this well? Teach me. We've got to have knowledge. We've got to have the resource. We've got to have the proper tools in the toolbox to be able to build a great marriage. When I started Bible college, I thought, and I'm just being very, very real with you this morning, I thought that I was very spiritual, meaning I felt like I was on target. And there was probably, if I'm being very honest and transparent, there were days where I felt what I would call super spiritual, that I was over the top with where I was with God. An example of that would be that I was praying every day. I was studying very hard. I'm, I'm an auditory learner, so I was constantly listening to communicators, listening to speakers, 
And I still can do that to, to this day, just listen to people talk all day long. It's the way that I love learning. I worked diligently on me personally being able to hear from God. What did that look like for me? And so I was working on all of these things, prayer and Bible reading and study and self-discipline and hearing from God. And then I got married. Okay? Now, before you throw rocks at me, let me finish this, this thought. You don't realize how much you are not like Jesus until you get married. You may be the best bachelor or bachelorette in the place, solid believer, solid Christian, doing a lot of things trying to advance your following and knowledge of Jesus Christ. But when you get married, marriage is revealing. It shows you the weak points where you are not being like Jesus. Robbie has seen me at my best, and she has seen me at my worst. She has seen me when I'm acing it, when I'm on point, when I'm sharp, and yet she has seen me at my worst. Just a couple of weeks ago, it was my, my birthday weekend, and I found myself sitting, and some friends of mine had got me some beef jerky for my birthday, and I was sitting there in some sweatpants and a really thin, nasty, white, plain T-shirt with a collar that looked like bacon and maybe some yellow armpit. I don't know. And so I had a pair of Argyle socks on, throwing back beef jerky. And I thought, I'm my father. I'm, I'm, it's happened. It's me. And so she has caught this glimpse of what it's going to be like for me at 70 and she stayed. You know, it was a true testament to our marriage. But marriage is revealing. And here's what's, what's the, the biggest one, the, the first one. The first revelation you get is this. It reveals that there's no perfect marriage because there's no perfect person. And so if you're one of those people who think, I'm about to marry Mr. Perfect or Miss Perfect, you have got an awakening, friend, okay? Because there is no one who is perfect, and when you take two imperfect people and put them in a union, you do not suddenly have a perfect marriage. You have an imperfect marriage, and it's why it's so important for us to constantly keep our marriages before God and open to each other to say, how are we with our marriage, with God, with each other, because we're working on that. Andy Stanley, a couple of years ago, made this quote, and I thought it was great. I shared this actually with our re-engaged group a couple of months ago, and he, he made this statement. He said, falling in love requires a pulse. Staying in love requires a plan. And basically, he was trying to communicate this, that if you have any chemistry at all, you have the ability to fall in love with a person. But staying in love has to be more of a strategy you got to have a plan of how you're going to get better, of how you're going to continue to win each other's love, about how you plan to keep forgiving, about how you plan to stay unconditional, and all of those things. So it only takes a pulse to fall in love, but it's got to be a plan to, fall, to stay in love. When we think about marriage, and all of us have, have seen this, uh, sometimes maybe you've seen it unfold in friendships, 
you've seen it unfold, and maybe your siblings, maybe you yourself have experienced a tumultuous marriage, and you've had times in your home or in siblings or your parents or your friends where you have seen secondhand or experienced firsthand what it's like to go through an awful season of marriage. Some of you know what it's like personally to see a marriage end. Okay, I'm not trying to be harsh this morning. Some of you have watched your parents separate. Some of you have lost a marriage. Some of your siblings have lost a marriage. And you see the pain of it. And this is why God hates divorce, because of the emotional shrapnel that it puts out. And it's, and it's devastating. And we look at that and we ask ourselves a question. Maybe we never say it out loud, but we ask ourselves a question. Because it's hard for us to imagine how two people took a huge vow to each other. And they made statements like, if we're sick or we're healthy, we're going to love each other. Or if we are rich or we are broke, we're going to love each other. Till death parts us, we are going to love each other. And they stand there in front of God and the people who mean the most to them, and they exchange these powerful words, and they make a pact together. And we bless it, and we pray over it, and they form a marriage. And then one year, three years, five years, ten years down, down the road, the same individuals who made this huge vow about sickness and health and rich and poverty until death parts us, suddenly find themselves in a place where they hate each other. The Scripture tells us about a story about this guy, and he loved this girl, and it ended poor. And I'm not going to preach about that. I'm just making a point. But it ended terribly. And the Bible says this, that he ended up hating her more than he ever loved her. And I think sometimes we've probably all seen this play out in our lives. We're like, man, this is ugly. This is terrible. This is awful watching my parents or my friends or my siblings or myself go through this. Let me point something out. We could line up thousands of people this morning and give them a microphone, and we could ask them to tell their bad story about marriage. Statistically, it would be about half of them. And they could stand on, on this stage and give a testament about all sort of things from abuse to fights to lies to scandal And for some of you, you'd be moved to tears. And for some of you, your jaw would drop. But when it was all said and done, you want to know what? We would still go out and get married. Why? Because we still believe in it. That we still believe that God designed it. And in it is still something that is holy and sacred, and righteous, and good, and we want it, and even though we can hear thousands of people talk about, even some of you, and again, I'm not being harsh, but you experienced a marriage that fell apart, and you want to know what? You got married again, or you want to be married again, because you believe in it. Here's why. Because men, let me tell you, 
We want more than just a, a buddy to fish with or hunt with or play golf with. We want a person to be connected at the deepest part of who we are, and we want permanence. We want the stability of it. We want to love and be loved. Ladies, you want more than a shopping friend. You want more than a, a girlfriend who will go sit with you while you get manis and petties. You want more than that. You want a deep-seated love, and you want to be loved. And we believe in it, regardless of the story, regardless of the book, regardless of the movie, regardless of what our best friend says, regardless of what our mama said, regardless of any of it, we our, our own experiences, it doesn't matter how jaded we are, we believe in the sanctity of it. And wouldn't it be great if somehow people found each other in perfection? Wouldn't it be great if every marriage was the result of one person over here who had a perfect childhood and had model parents, and they meet somebody who had a perfect childhood and had model parents, and so two perfect childhoods with perfect parents suddenly find each other, and in that perfection, they, they fall in love, and no one had ever been hurt, and no one had ever been abused, and no one had been lied to. But it's not, it never happens this, this way. That's not, that's not what happens. Matter of fact, we have coined a phrase for those who don't come to each other like that. We say, that person has a lot of baggage. We say, man, you're, you're coming into this with a lot of stuff. As a matter of fact, your, your suitcase really needs more of a trailer. A big one, like an 18-wheeler. I mean, you're, you're coming into this thing with a lot of stuff. And so we've all been dinged up, Okay? We've all been dinged up. So it's important before you get married to get the Carfax. Okay, I was waiting on you. That, that went over much better at the 9 o'clock. Y'all are always so much slower than they are. Y'all haven't had caffeine or you got children or something. The point is we come into relationships with broken hearts and brokenness in our lives because of life lived and we bring baggage and we receive baggage. As a matter of fact, there are rooms in our lives that we don't let anyone see except our spouse and sometimes not even them. And more often than not, we did not give our spouse the full tour of our heart until we got married. The reason that we have an elephant in the room is because we have fostered it for many years and we've nurtured it, and we fed it, and we cared for it. And it's become this huge, uncontrollable thing in our lives because anything that is fed will grow. 
And so we end up with this place, this thing, this room in our lives, in our marriage, and we've tried to nail the door shut, and we've tried to put a bar across it, and if we accidentally tiptoe into it, we back out of it, and we keep the lights off in there, and we try to steer our spouse around it, and we shape like a, like a rock in a river. We shape the conversations in our home to avoid it because we know if we open it up, Elephant's coming out. So what do we do? Okay. Well, listen, Solomon is about to give us a great answer. And I want to preface this by saying, just just to remind us, he's the smartest man to have ever, ever lived. You put him in any room, he'd be the wisest person. He knows how to do it. This was his spiritual gift from God. He knows how to do it, how to get it done, when to do it with what grace and what pressure to apply to get it done because he's wise and he's about to speak to us. Okay, so in Proverbs chapter 4, he says this. Above all else, guard your heart. Now keep in mind, he's been preaching for four chapters. He said a lot. And when you're the wisest, smartest man in the world, four chapters has a lot of content. And so he comes out, and I always have to preface this when I teach this because it's important to the context. He says, above all else, meaning out of everything I've just shared with you, this is the most important. The way that I would personally say this would be, I want this to be your takeaway. Or I would say something like, if you get one thing this morning, get this. So he says, above all else that I've said, guard your heart. Right? Guard your heart. And keep in mind that the heart in biblical society was the seat of emotion. This is why the early New Testament teachers started laying down a foundation that by the time the postmodern church came about, we started asking Jesus to come into our heart. What we were saying was, Lord, at the core of me, take it over. At the part of me where all the drive is and the passion and the dream and the purpose, where all of that flows out of, right there is where I want you to live. And this is what Solomon is saying. Above all else, guard that place. Right? If you don't have a strategy for guarding your heart, chances are you aren't doing it. And Solomon is saying it's the most important thing that you and I can do in, the, in life. Up till now... All right, now buckle up for just a second. I'm about to be really real with you. Up until now, it seems there is a strategy for guarding our heart that's incorrect. Because this is what it looks like a lot of times. We want to guard our heart. So what that looks like to us, the strategy, is that we keep the elephant concealed. And the tighter I can keep it in there, and the better I can get it at, at, at keeping it at bay and hoping that a miracle takes place. But we all know how this plays out because an elephant is strong. And historically, this is what happens. You get upset or they get upset and the elephant comes out and neither one of you are prepared for the mess that an elephant makes. 
And eventually one or both of you decide to leave and you ride off into the sunset on your elephant and you ultimately start over with someone else. And several relationships later, you say something dumb like, every person I'm with upsets this elephant. But the truth is, we have not guarded our heart and every relationship we go through, every place where love is not permanent, we are feeding the elephant, feeding the elephant. You have to, if I give you a, a visual, it would be this. Imagine yourself as a Dr. Pepper that's been shaken. And at some point, the lid comes off and everybody gets it. The spouse gets it. The kids get it. The dog gets it. The walls get it. Everybody gets it. And then what we want to do right then in that moment is be human. We say, you did this. I'm projecting the blame onto everybody, and suddenly there's unforgiveness, and there's resentment, and there's bitterness, and there's hatred, and there's separation, and there's discord, and there's confusion, and there's all these things, and we say, you did this. Okay, but let me bring a revelation of this. What is in you, think about this, Dr. Pepper, what is in you is going to come out of you regardless of who you're with. Your spouse is not responsible for your elephant. Your spouse is not responsible for your Dr. Pepper. This can only be resolved through the work of the Holy Spirit. And there's some great, great counselors, but sometimes you can't counsel it out. And there are people who take medication to stabilize them. And I'm not against that. But sometimes you can't, you, you, it, it doesn't help it. And there are best-selling authors. And sometimes you can't read it out. But what's in you is eventually going to come out. Let me give you a couple of points really quick. i got nine seconds left on my timer. All that was my introduction. <laughs> First thing, you have to love yourself like Christ loved you, right? You got to love yourself like Christ loved you. Huge mistake right here. People get married sometimes because they need someone to give them self-worth. And when we think about how God designed us, here it is. It's God's job to give you purpose, to give you clarity, to give you fire in your gut. God has the monopoly on that. He owns it. And you can only get that from God. No one else is going to come into your life and fill a void that only God can fill. And so a huge mistake people make in marriage is this. I'm looking for Mr. Perfect. I'm looking for Miss Perfect because they are going to be the final piece of my puzzle. And it does not end well because you are setting them up. It's idolatry. You are now trying to get them to fill a place in you that only God can fill. And so until you have your self 
worth from God. No one is going to make you happy. No one is going to make you happy. The ability for you to stay in love has as much to do with the condition of your heart, like Solomon said, as it does your spouse. Now watch what he says in Proverbs chapter 4, 23. He ends this. He says, above all else, guard your heart. And then he gives this very strong truth. For everything you do flows from it. All of it. Everything that you and I do. The way we think. The way we see the world. The way we interact with each other. Our career passions. All of it flows from the heart. And he's saying, listen, when that is sick, everything else is sick. When the heart is not healthy and it's sick and it's broken, then everything that flows from it is just a reflection of that. It's brokenness and it's bitterness and you start to treat other people the way you feel inside. It's just everything, your worldview, the way you see people, the way you see God, the way you see his church, the way you see what you do on a daily basis, all is skewed because you are broken in there. Everything you do flows from it. Okay. I'll give you one more point, and I'm going to be quiet. The second thing is this makes it so important for us to identify that elephant in our lives. As long as you live without identifying it, it will gain momentum. Hear me. And it is powerful. And this is not one of those messages today that I have to sell you, that I have to cheerlead you on, because some of you are living this out, and you could preach this ten times better than I am. Because it's real to you, and you know exactly what I mean when I say the elephant is strong, and the elephant is powerful, and the elephant lives in the dark places of the soul. Okay? So what you need to be able to say out loud to yourself is this. you gotta, you got to identify it. You need to be able to say, I am jealous. I am insecure. I feel like a failure. I feel lonely. And when we do that, we are opening the door and raising the windows. And we're seeing for the first time in a long time what we've kept in the dark and what, what we've kept at bay and what we've danced around and what we've backed away from and what we've steered conversation around. That stuff is exhausting. We gotta raise the windows, open the doors. If we really wanna be healthy, I mean, if we really want everything that comes out of us to be full of life, it will transform your home if you'll get your heart healthy. It'll change the culture, change the way you see your kids. It'll change the way you serve your church. It'll change the way you see your, your job. When your heart is healthy, everything you're doing flows from it. And when you got something in there that's broken, so let me end with this thought. I'm not. Obviously not going to be able to end today. But let me end with this, this thought. Aaron, if you'll come. Wow, that was quick. Thank you. Here it is. Let me end with this thought. Mature people. Mature followers of Jesus. Stop doing what they know feeds the elephant right? 
Meaning this, when the Spirit of the Lord reveals to us what it is that we're doing, we knock it off. He gives us grace to grow, not to just circle back and do it again. So mature people and mature followers of Jesus, when we know what feeds the elephant, we stop it. It's some of you this morning, and I'm about to pray over us, but some of us this morning, man, we look at our life and we go, that's exactly what it is. And this is why sometimes, as a counselor, I see this often, you'll have somebody in their 40s, and they're dealing with something from their 20s. Because what started as a little thought, a little action, a little thing unchecked, is now something so big in their lives they can't control it. And so here you are as an adult, and you're ready. You're ready to deal with it. Get it gone. Get it over with. Let's get healthy already. Hear me. I can't do it for you. And your spouse can't do it for you. It is solely a work of the Holy Spirit in you. And all we got to do is invite him in. Just do it. Lord, I'm... I'm going to open my life to you. Here's what's beautiful about this relationship with God. He will never invade that that will. He just won't do it. If he did, the whole world would be living for him. He'd invade everybody's will, but he won't do it because he wants it to be reciprocated. Open your heart up again today. Show him the elephant. Show him all the good, the bad, and the ugly of your marriage today. And let him work on you. Because you'll never have a healthy us if there's not a healthy you before it, okay? Bow your heads with me this morning.